to start recording. Uh, Wes, you did the introduction last week. I wasn't here. Uh, do you want to do it again? Uh, sure. All right, go for it. Welcome to Life Behind Beer, a podcast by Iron Horse Brewery. I'm Wes, and I'm here with... Uh, Paul Copenhaver, the <laughs> resident nerd, uh, somebody who is terrible at picking up on cues, uh, obviously. <laughs> He's sitting right next to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's me, Jared. I'm. We're sitting back in the office. We tried Anchor for a couple of podcasts, and we had some feedback. I don't even know if I shared this with you, Wes. Uh, somebody emailed and said, love the content. The audio sounds like shit. Stop yeah. using it. Yeah, I, I got some uh, some feedback from a friend of mine that was yeah. less than stellar about <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it's like, the last podcast. What's going on? So, uh, well, thank you to whoever those people were because any kind of feedback is is good. I know mm-hmm. nothing like feel like we're just talking into a vacuum. Um, well, so we've got some beer here. Uh, if you can call it beer, I mean, I think it's yeah, I think it still no, qualifies as beer. Uh, I was at, I I went to Happy's Market. Happy'sMarket.com. I don't think that's it. Uh, looking for a uh, more of a holiday-themed ale, and I walked away with Humzinger, a kombucha Rattler. So you know, maybe a summer holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like it's a collaboration with Hum Kombucha, which is another manufacturer, and they added a little Rattler to it. So, or they added, they made their version of a Rattler. You said this was Deschutes. Deschutes. Or you already mentioned it was Deschutes. Yeah. That- yeah yeah really interesting um i'm gonna pop it open just to like kind of smell to smell it right off the bat i think it was just like a kettle sour or something like that but um i don't think it is and i don't think they use any sour yeast on this um it's just that that kombucha added to it really gives it that kind of kind of tart flavor yeah yeah i was actually surprised that it wasn't more sour than it is i guess when i you know, I think of like drinking kombucha, and it's usually pretty sour. And this has a little bit of that on the edge, but it's actually quite a bit softer than drinking actual kombucha would be. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had kombucha. No? You, do you have just a, a a perfectly healthy gut? I, you know, I do. You know? Yeah, I do. I I, I I subsist on a diet of of fast food, and but but I I just balance it out perfectly. You know, so right. that yeah, it's yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so I'm you know I'm picking up. It's funny that the initial aroma was, um, uh, I want to say soap, but not in a negative way. I think that's the glassware. Maybe it's the glassware. Smelling the dishwasher detergent. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know. Sorry. It's a Dawn. It's a Dawn. (laughs) My, my nails will never look better. Um, but, but I'm getting a little bit of the tartness that you, that you get from kombucha, but Mm -hmm. kombucha, kombucha, kombucha. Mm. You're asking the wrong guy, man. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I say kombucha, but maybe I'm wrong. Kombucha, mm. but the sweetness of the of what makes a Rattler a Rattler seems to be coming mm-hmm. through. So yeah. it's a it's a four point three percent ABV beer, twelve IBU. Um, it's got some Cascade hops and a Pilsner malt. Yeah, so there you go. It's good stuff. I like it. I could drink this. Yeah, nice and sessionable. Yeah, mm-hmm. nothing says winter like a kombucha Rattler. You might get made fun of uh, by certain people for, you know, depending on who your friends are, you know, you might want, not want to drink this. I mean, this is not a type of beer that I'd probably want to crack open, you know, during a Seahawks game or something like that. But, you know, if you just me at home. Know. It's a little yeah. beer you can drink a lot of. So yeah, maybe that's it is true. Kind well, of beer. yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> something about kombucha, Rattlers. Uh, you, you know what it reminds me of? If you were to take um, 
uh, spody and just blend it. Oh, right? sure. You know, yeah, the, okay. the, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. That's what yeah, I feel like course. I'm drinking. Yeah, I can you know that. what? I'm just going to present the challenge to any of our listeners, yes. just to spite Paul. Uh, this Sunday during the Seahawks game, <laughs> yeah. I encourage go out and, you to yeah. go drink some of this. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like it. <laughs> Um, okay, well, we got a few topics to talk about. Um, the first being uh, pretty quick, but um, a new milestone was hit in the craft beer industry. 7,000-plus breweries. I think it was like 7,100 uh, craft breweries. We hit that milestone right at mm. the end of October, October 31st, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the more staggering number, 2,000 more in planning. Yeah. Uh, from you know, from your nerd sensibility, the number stance, uh, is this sustainable? Are we going to keep this? Is this model going to work? No, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, you know, it's the the thing that the, the caveat that they that I didn't see anywhere in that article is you know how many how many breweries have have opened and subsequently closed in the last you know couple of years and and you know I mean yeah obviously we're we're seeing a lot more breweries everyone knows that but. Um, you know, a lot of them are just really small, you know, essentially uh, uh, nano breweries. And, you know, right. sometimes those work and they grow. But a lot of them, I think, probably I'm not a lot, but but a fair number of them, I would think, fizz, you know, kind of just fizzle out after a while. And also, you know, just kind of sign of the times right now in this economy, a lot more people are willing to go out and, and, and you know, hit up their local, you know, uh, brew pub on a regular basis, you know, maybe right. a couple nights a week. And, you know, if that, you know, if the economy tanks, you know, like uh, are, how many of these breweries are really going to be able to stay above water well, quite a few of them won't <laughs> sure so um i don't know i mean it's it's nothing you know the article you know, wasn't anything new no you know we, we all you know we're pretty well aware you know, at least here in washington um you know how many uh you know new breweries are coming online and so it, you know makes yeah. sense that that's going on nationally i think i heard a number that i wish i had the source for it because i'm probably just making it up and propagating false information but um the open to close ratio of 12 to 1 but now we're looking more like it's six to one. Yeah, so, I believe that. Which you know kind of makes sense, but mm-hmm. you don't read about a lot of those because they're probably just very local, local based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, closures. sure. Um, Wes, any thoughts? Any comments? I would say, uh, as we've kind of talked about before, we're going to see it's probably still quite a few openings, but it's going to be the kind of breweries that have business plans that designate them um kind of staying somewhat local and mm-hmm. not with these grand plans to become a large regional or national brand and those are the kind of breweries that at least what the numbers are showing and trends are showing those are the kind of breweries that are going to be successful in at least the near future so So like so so like people's tastes are kind of it's kind of a thing where like you know everyone forever was just into drinking you know bud or or coors and then you know you get these you know like deschutes and sierra nevada you know kind of you know big you know regional or or semi-national and now everyone the the hot ticket really is just going to whatever your you know nearest local brewery because that's the only place you're gonna get that beer and you know even here in ellensburg we're seeing that i mean we've got two two breweries here and two other breweries here in town that right um you know you can't really find their beer anywhere but either at the brewery or you know in a few select locations right. elsewhere in town within so. a within a 30 mile radius mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah so um you know the the big uh the uh, you want to say loser but um the big change is the uh the wholesaler in on-premise because mm-hmm. the 
the frequency of beer. People are just moving to tasting rooms for their, cons- you know, their one or two sure. beer consumption. Mm-hmm. I think spirits are doing fine mm-hmm. in the in the on premise, but yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's it's um, I think it is. It's a sign of good of good times. Meaning people are are still looking. There's passion behind making a quality product. I um, I don't feel like it's a sustainable model. Or maybe it is until we hit fifty percent. Well, right, craft. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's. It, I mean, it depends on who you're talking <laughs> about when you say sustainable. I mean, like because you know this could really end up you know taking a big bite out of you know the the bigger regional craft brewers like us you know i mean if, if more people are going to their local tasting room then then they're right. not going to you know the local bar and buying irish death you know right and so it's just kind of uh, you know it's i don't know i mean yeah sweet it depends on it really yeah. kind of points to how you look at growth within the industry because from a volume percentage we're seeing that growth is still there but it's less than it used to be but if we're looking from just say a number of breweries in planning or that have opened recently, that's obviously a very large number. So I think as we've kind of talked about before, just the way like the growth and success within the brewing industry is kind of changing and people have to kind of redefine what they want out of it if they're going to go into the industry. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. The romance will fade quickly. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay. Next topic. Um, this was a video that was, uh, produced by AB InBev, uh, post, uh, hosted on Vine pair. That's where the article came from about, um, one of the takeaways or one of the, uh, extrapolations from this video was the, the idea that the term craft is going to disappear. Uh, I just watched the video again, right before we did this and the context of that it's probably making a little bit more out of it than really, um, than really the article stating. Uh, but you know, what do we think? That is that a term that it's lost its meaning and it's no longer useful. You know, we have independent, right? But right. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, to me, it's still a pretty, pretty <clears throat> bright line between what's craft beer and what's, you know, not craft beer. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, maybe, AB is trying to blur that line because it's you know good for it's good know, for them their, them but uh, I mean I think most crappier fans know you know know the difference I mean and so I, I'm not I'm not really yeah I haven't watched the I read the article I haven't watched the video so I don't know specifically what they're what they're trying to get at with this but I, I watched the video I I just think it's marketing antics yeah. from AB uh, to be yeah, honest yeah. I mean, T- totally it's I had to Paul's point you know you have to think about why would they spend the money to produce that video and what's their goal behind it. Right. And I definitely think kind of like you were saying, blurring that line or blurring the definition and just kind of think making things more ambiguous in a way that serves their interests. Yeah, right. The, the, the greater the obfuscation, the uh, uh-huh. the better it is for and, them. I mean, they, they were the ones that kind of threw a tantrum when that, you know, independent craft logo <laughs> right. came out. Right. Because that did that. I mean, that that did the opposite. That was really trying to, you know, brighten that line right. to really make it very distinct that, no, this is not an AB, you know, craft beer. This is independent. And so it's just uh, it's it, to me, it seems like it's part of that same back and forth between them and, you know, actual craft. Yeah. Beer. And I think it's even more dramatic than that in the, the, than the independence case, because 
here, like, we see uh, the decline in beer sales is really the domestic brands, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, craft beer and even non-independent craft, what you could still call craft beer, like Elysian and those kind of brands, they're doing all right. But the ones that are really seeing a huge chunk taken out of their business are the brands like Budweiser, Coors, things like that. So if the AB can go a step further than just blurring the line between independent and non-independent and start pushing more of that old narrative of beer is just beer, then I think that might be a strategy they see as viable for helping at least slow the decline of sales as far as their larger national brands go. Uh, and just totally different thought, but I just want, do you think this is possible? Do you think that we could get all the independent breweries or as many as possible or three to five each state where we all produce a very light palatable lager under the same <laughs> packaging, right? We just, but we all, we just all produce it, use uh-huh. the same packaging and put it into a fund for, you know, marketing and advertising and all that. If we just get everybody on board, that's, independent brewers and say this is the package that we're going to format we're going to go that's, to that's that, an interesting that sounds that sounds like a huge waste of money to me i don't know i can't put my finger on it it sounds like that just would no be a massive no, boondoggle i need you to approve this uh, no we don't this. make light boring <laughs> imitation but, but domestic we just, but we, the idea is to shift to take the as much share as we can from that and knowing that those dollars uh, are going to go help fund maybe. uh you know better better you know lobbying or better whatever it is but i don't know uh, so i have your agreement on this i think we're yeah, Your, sounds Paul's, like Paul's on board. Paul's a hundred percent on board. Sure, sure, like, approved. <laughs> it's like that sounds crazy. Uh, you know, there's just something about like the whole idea. <laughs> just yeah. we're all gonna do it. Yeah. We talked about doing that with a uh, um, uh, Jerry of the Day beer, where <laughs> we we find three or four other breweries in, across the U.S. Mm-hmm. and then just just do like a collab, just a collab based on where. Yeah, you can just get you can get a Jerry. Yeah, based wherever you live, you can find yeah. it. Made by someone, yeah, yeah, in your area. That that that's pretty cool. I like that idea. Same concept. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, okay, well, you know, I I think we're not going to see. I mean, the word craft, the art, the no. artisanal mm-hmm. element will will never remove the word craft from it. Yeah. So, I think we're good. Uh, next next place. Um, this I just I posted this because we're having this internal conversation about moving to a variance of a flagship or of other beer and. Just generally, what your thoughts? So Deschutes Brewery—they're releasing, and that's who we're drinking uh, on purpose. Uh, three versions of their the, one of their flagship, the Abyss. Um, I think that's I think th- the three versions of the Dissident, the, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. 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 The Abyss is the Abyss. That's, yeah. That's new, right? No, that's. Oh like no, no, no! They've had that one, but, but yeah, but, no, but but yeah, there's just one version of that. Right. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, and Dissident. Maybe it's three versions of Dissident. <laughs> yes, that's what it Correct. is. Yes, thank you. I you would think I would read the article, but I didn't. <laughs> so I was just pulling it up. Oh yeah, three versions of Dissident, and um, from a uh, you know from a brewing standpoint, what's the what's the angle? Why 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 do we need three different versions of? Aren't they just three beers? Three different beers entirely. I, th- I mean, I think it's uh, in part at least it's a strategy to. Uh, buoy sales and it like for regional breweries this is a an important thing right now looking at ways to innovate and uh stoke the interest in your brands and keep uh craft beer drinkers who are notoriously looking for new and different things keep them interested in your company and your brands Mm -hmm. so uh i you, you see this a lot and like i've 
drawn the analogy between uh, wine and beer, you see this is a strategy that's been around a long time mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. wine industry as far as having a label with many products underneath of that one label. So this kind of thing. The, dissident, the, the mega brand yeah. strategy. Mm -hmm. The Dissident is already a very popular brand, mm -hmm. uh, like a product with a cult following. So if now you can get, even if it's just a small group of people, if they're buying you know, that one beer, if they really love that beer, now maybe all of those people that are really loyal to that one product are going to buy three beers from you instead of one beer from you. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, just to parrot what you're saying about it being, you know, a kind of a, a strategy that's employed a lot. I mean, we here at Iron Horse, right. you know, we have Irish Death, we all, but we also have Mocha Death. We've got Cozy Sweater, but we've also we also had Cozier Cozy Sweater, and right. we've had Coziest Sweater, and uh, you know, so it's it's just it's a way to piggyback off of your existing customer base and say, hey, if you like this one beer, well, here's two more that you can try out that you'll probably like. And and I the other thing that I noticed on this article that kind of made me think back to you know some of the stuff that we were talking about before with uh you know people really kind of getting more into just their local because i think these are pretty limited release they are yeah, yeah. you know you can only find them in a few different places or you know probably at the tap rooms uh just shoots tap rooms you know also just doing kind of local release parties it's you know that that's probably that, that's a that's a prime example of a regional brewer kind of fighting back against that shift towards everyone just wanting to go super local on their mm -hmm. beer saying, okay, well, I mean, you know, we'll at least cater to the people that are right. local, you know, to where we are. Um, so, you know, I mean, hats off to them for taking that approach. Sure. And I think it's certainly given occasion for, you know, uh, that differentiation, uh, for, for people. So what we're talking about is their dissident 18 classic since 2008. It's aged on Oak cherries for 10 months. Then their, their dissident Brett barrel aged, on Oregon cherries and a hundred percent Brettomyces. And then the third version is aged for nine months on 10,000 pounds of Oregon Marion berry puree. Mm. So its origins are the same, but man, I can't, I would have to imagine that just totally changes the, the flavor profile of all your, all your beer. Right? Like, so I'm thinking of Irish death and mocha death. I, I would, if they were labeled differently, I wouldn't necessarily know that one came from the other mm, because yeah. I have a unsophisticated palate, but mm. I wonder, that's what I wonder just like how much the branding informs our, our, um, our taste profiles that when we sure. start to consume, right? Yeah. yeah, quite a bit. I mean, to the counter, they could very well be using the same base beer mm -hmm. and just, uh, pitching with different yeasts and, or, you know, having it age on different fruits. So you're starting from somewhat of uh, at least a similar point, but yeah, your finished product's going to be quite different. Yeah. I mean, uh, different strains of yeast and different fruits, those are drastically going to change the, the flavor profile of the finished product. So, Yeah, so really this is mostly a call out to our, all our super fans out there. Would they like to see a, a Sour Patch Death and a <laughs> um, you know, red, red Vine Death? Again, just, this hey. sounds like a huge boondoggle. <laughs> no, no, fall. I can't. I hey. don't think I can sign off on this. <laughs> I need, and we're gonna get that approved stamp from. We'll me. talk about it. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, so this this is an article. I don't know if we need to get too much into it. Um, this this next one. Um, but it was from Good Beer Hunting. It was it was a real to me. It was a really well written article. Very long, in, article, in depth, yeah. and very mm -hmm. you know yeah. long. And I should actually give the author 
some credit. Uh, Gray Chapman is the author. It's on good, good beer hunting, not good will hunting. Uh, Goodbeerhunting.com. Really, it's just getting into the uh, to the argument of who does beer serve, how you know how is it used, and we've talked about it a little bit. Like, should a brewery uh, be involved politically on certain issues or uh, on any issues whatsoever? And uh, I just I really I really enjoyed this the writing of this. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know what what are your thoughts and any takeaways from from this article in particular? Um, or the yeah, I mean, I, so the, the gist of the article, not without going into it too deep, was, uh, and I, I think I only made it about halfway through before we started the podcast, but it, it was that, you know, the, the a brewery in, in um, Atlanta basically allowed Brian Kemp, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, to host some kind of a, an event there, and they got a lot of backlash for it, and then they right. got back counter backlash, and I mean, to me, it just it, it just demonstrated something that, you know, I think I've known for a long time, which is if you're a business, if you want to, you can't really dip your toes into anything political. You got to either completely stay out to avoid pissing off, you know, people on both right. ends or, uh, you know, dive in and just accept the fact that you're you know going to piss off a certain right. segment you, of you, potential consumers, but maybe you'll score points with other consumers, right. um, you know, uh, yeah, just small correction. It was actually they hosted an event for a small business organization. And right. The organization ended up. That's what it was. Endorsing yeah. that candidate. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. So it wasn't God. actually an event for that political candidate. Right. No. Right. Right. And yet, you know, in Iron Horse, we've done we've we've always maintained that uh, a, a brewing space, a, a, a tasting room, is a place for a community. It's a gathering spot, right? Mm-hmm. Where we encourage all sorts of ideas and. And uh, as long as it's not a hate group, um, <laughs> people are more or less welcome to to have their conversations of all political sides. Um, this was, an, an, to me, an element of taking something that was misconstrued and then applying it liberally. Like, and not not to use the word in a political sense, but just right. taking it a misunderstanding. Sure. Um, so, it, perception is reality. I think that's that's one of the things that we know. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if we are not getting closer and closer to the point where people that have a voice have a way to connect with a larger consumer base than, say, you know, you on your own personal Facebook page, mm-hmm. but a brand, if they shouldn't be using that for some basic good or perceived basic good, right? So um, we can pick a topic, wage gap. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe that maybe that's a thing where like you know this may be a political issue, but it's also a real issue where yeah, sure. how do we eliminate the wage gap? Sure, it shouldn't be, but some people will take it, interpret mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Should we just stay out of it? Should we just I, jump in? I don't mm-hmm. know. It's hard to tell. You know, I, I mean, I think you know part of it too is like if you're going to stay out. I mean, I mean, so I agree with what. Not to backtrack too much, but what you were saying about you know our pub being an event for, and I know we've hosted you know political candidates there before, mm-hmm. and I think. I think that's fine so long as you kind of lay the groundwork that you're not, you know, specifically endorsing right. a, a, any person or group or, or cause that that might be, you know, using your space or, but, um, I, I don't know as far as, um, God, I'm having kind of a brain fart here. Well, we're, you're, oh, the, oh, the wage gap. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for something like that, I mean, like, I think if you're going to use, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, if you, if you want to use, you know, your, your broader, you know, I mean, let's, you know, I don't know how many followers off the top of my head we have on social media. It's, 40 billion. Right. Yeah. So 40 billion people, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. So long as, you know, you just, again, you're, you're kind of doing it in a way that is, 
you know, covering your bases and, and uh, at least recognizing that you're inevitably going to maybe piss some people off. Sure. Um, but if, if, if the, you know, social good that you're creating, you know, outweighs the, the, the you know, potential lost revenue, you know, so be it. I, right. I think that's a very ethical way of doing business, um, you know, and also just, you know, I, I guess, you know, if you are going to wade into an issue, do it civilly, you know, don't do it right. to try to piss people off, don't, <laughs> right. you know, to try to, you know, own the, own the libs or own the, right. the, the conservatives or whatever. Coal just, miners are horrible people. Yeah. Try, try to just have a very, you know, measured, rational, you know, discussion about whatever issue you are going to wade into as a business. Um, you know, that's, uh, I guess that's kind of my two cents on it. Yeah. I mean, my, I guess my feeling is that that's the beauty and inherent danger of freedom is, if a business wants to take a stance on something, they have the freedom to do that. And if consumers, uh, they like that stance the business took or they don't like it, they disagree, then they have the freedom to either support and buy things from that business or not support and not buy things from that business. And uh, I... Um, but then on the other hand, if a business doesn't want to take a stance on something and kind of stay out of that, they also have the freedom to do that. And I guess the one thing I would maybe, I, I wouldn't say he necessarily, the writer of this article, took a direct stance on this, but it looked like it kind of leaned towards was I wouldn't push back against a business if they make the decision to stay out of something. I think... Sure. That in and of itself is a reasonable decision to make, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's so. it, it is one of those that if depending on your point of view, if you're like, oh well, these I'm going to go here, or you know, I'm going to go buy Fruit Loops from the Fruit Loops store because I love Fruit Loops, <laughs> but they're not making any cake. You you just it, it because they become somewhat innocuous, I guess. That that's the point, and they, I, you're right. I don't know that people should necessarily be penalized for that unless they. Uh, Unless somehow they're doing some backdoor dealings mm-hmm. that you find about, you know, mm-hmm. find out about. I don't know. So yeah, as a, I think I've said before on the podcast, I would just encourage people as consumers to use their uh, consumer power to support or not support whatever businesses they, uh, they are interacting with. They deem yeah. appropriate. Yeah, and I, th- I think I, 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 don't, I, don't, I think I've mentioned this before, but I kind of, I, I think that's a sensible position. I, I don't always agree with that because for me it's more just about like okay if somebody is you know making a good product or you know does a good job I mean I think the example I brought before is there's a local auto dealership that has some very you know outspoken staunch sure. conservative views on on uh, women's reproductive rights and right. I don't agree with them but um, you know they do a really good job of detailing my car whenever I take it in there so right. I'll still work yeah. with them uh, you know I, I think I try to keep you know business and politics separate you know as best i can but i mean if somebody really does take you know a very abhorrent stance you know as a business then yeah it's just certainly all, all i you know i, I definitely from them. i vote with my dollars okay. uh i admit that there were, we were in florida recently as uh some of you know and there were a couple places i wanted to go to just because i've never eaten there but i'm like oh, i can't go there because they you know they don't support this or they because they really came out on the woodwork Mm-hmm. against something that I fundamentally believe to be useful for American civil liberties. So mm-hmm. uh, I've definitely made those decisions. Sure. 
I still operate that way. I, I just wonder. I, I mean, my, and my and, and like, like I said, I, I don't think I'd ever you know, criticize somebody for voting with their dollars. I just wonder how much of that contributes to kind of what's already a super hyper partisan atmosphere. Divisive, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, if we could, you know, we, we, like, why can't we all just say, okay, maybe you and I don't see the eye, eye to eye on something. You know, you as a business and me as a consumer, but you know that particular issue has no bearing on you know whatever transaction we're but, but like i said i don't begrudge anybody that wants to vote with their dollars like sure i think yeah. that's i think that's totally appropriate and it's it's you know i mean it's at least you're engaged and paying attention you know because a lot of people don't they don't even, even think about give it. a shit or don't right. even think yeah. about it yeah so. yeah but to your point paul i would i would actually say that that's a good at least at least a reasonable opinion that politics does not have to encroach on every single aspect of every human's life well and but I, i'll say this too um you know i'm also speaking i'll be the first to recognize this that i'm speaking from a position i hate to use the word privilege but because it you know but yeah. you know but as, as somebody who's you know a white <laughs> male uh you know middle class person you know politics really doesn't have too much bearing on my day-to-day life but if you're lgbtq or you're uh, undocumented or uh, you know you're a minority politics really does have much more of an impact on your life and so in that in that case may, I, you know, from that perspective you know it, i guess voting with your dollars does make a little bit more sure. sense I, th- I think it's the argument for you know getting the flu shot you don't get the flu shot necessarily for you you get the flu mm-hmm. shot for the people that can't right? sure yeah that they're unable to their immune systems too compromised but yeah uh, you know it's a fun uh, to me this is one I, I love this kind of conversation, and I think we can keep going with it. I, there was a, a, a slight tangent, but I was just thinking about an idea. Like here's another idea, Paul, that you're going to shit on. Uh, <laughs> Shoot. But it's to take uh, Facebook arguments mm-hmm. and then invite those people to the pub, and then they re- and then we reenact the actual argument to try mm-hmm. to get to the truth of what they're saying. I love that. I think right. that's, I think that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, no. Can you imagine uh, if you did that, though? God, that's, uh, I mean... That's what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think if people can talk about an issue instead of just trying to one-up each other on social media, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I think social media right there is, is in that way, is contributing to, to oh, partisanship and, yeah. and divisiveness, so... And yeah. then everybody, everybody gets along a little bit better with mm-hmm. a, with one or two beers. After yeah. three or four, it kind of changes the story. Yeah, probably. yeah. That's depending on what kind of beer they're drinking, yeah. I guess. Here's four pints of Irish death. <laughs> um, okay, well, we we'll just keep revisiting this topic because I Excellent. I think it's fun. Uh, the victory and Southern Tier. So they they bought Six Point Brewing. Have have you as you guys ever had a Six Point beer? Uh, I don't think yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah. Where are they uh, based out of? New York. New York. Okay. Yeah. It was good. I, they make a lot of IPAs. It's kind of what they're most known for, I would say. Mm-hmm. This came, uh, the article came, was posted on Brewbound. Brewbound.com. They have their own podcast. Listen to that oh. one. Excellent. Wait. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, again, bringing it back to earlier topics of discussion, you know, I mean, we have, you know, so many new breweries, uh, you know, coming online. There's, you know, safety in numbers. There's efficiency in, in uh, consolidation and, so it's not surprising that uh, I, I'm sure that as you know time goes on and we see more brewers coming online, you will see a lot more regional brewers uh, kind of you know coalescing together to create uh, you know bigger bigger companies. It makes sense to me. Yeah. When you get to a certain point, there's a lot to be said about economies of scale for mm-hmm. brewing, and instead of buying you know a second and or third location 
as far as production is concerned if you can work in close cooperation uh even if it's officially under like say a larger parent company with other breweries and use those facilities then that really gives you an advantage as far as economies of scale are concerned where you can have three production facilities to brew your beer that's just growing in sales rapidly and you wouldn't be able to keep up as far as demand is concerned uh with producing enough um without those kind of advantages so yeah yeah you know it's a smart it's a smart move i think that's uh, we're going to see more and more uh merger and acquisition i think um and it's nice to see it within 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 itself versus mm-hmm. you know yeah. outside forces or even you know canarchy which whatever they're doing that that you know that's just an outside investor group right helping mm-hmm. to fund which is it's fine you can still say it's somewhat independent i guess but it's nice to see it when other bigger breweries are helping to you know shore up and maintain other brands mm-hmm. um, through acquisition Anyway, um, la- this is kind of a question that just I saw on Reddit, and I just you know I thought I would ask it out here. For people that don't really like carbonation, what kind of beer should be consumed? The, ca- the kind that you just open up and leave on the counter all night and then <laughs> yeah. polish off the next morning. Yeah, I mean, maybe I that's um, just flat beer. I, yeah, I mean, obviously anything that's that's well, I mean, actually, I'm gonna let Wes chime in here as the actual expert. Uh, I'd say there's a few options. Traditional English cask style mm-hmm. beer would be one thing. That's going to be a little difficult for people to find. <laughs> sure. Uh, and also, the, the just the way it's... A lot of people wouldn't be used to the way it's served. Because it's served a fair amount warmer than yeah. American beer. I mean, I think they serve it at probably, what, about like upper 40s or yeah, something like that? Yeah, 45 to 50 degrees, I'd yeah. say. But uh, it can be really good. And there's... There are breweries out there, even here in the Northwest, that are doing that kind of beer. Uh, Machine House Brewery in Seattle's one example. Machinehouse.com. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Oh, but, God, I just looked it up. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, God, don't go to the website. <laughs> There's some breweries out there if people are really looking for that kind of style of beer. Uh, I would also say some spontaneous fermented beer or uh bottle conditioned kind of styles whether they be more experimental kind of wild ales or more traditional belgian styles some of those it's a wide spectrum some of them are highly carbonated and some of them have a very low level of carbonation so depending on the style and product uh some of those bottle conditioned or wild fermented ales might be an option then there's even a small category of beers called still ales which have no carbonation at all hmm. i know i have a bottle at home from ale apothecary down in oregon and they actually make some beers that don't have any carbonation so i mean i understand i know that you know co2 is a byproduct of fermentation so how do they achieve a beer that has zero carbonation to it what's the process there uh knowing at least in that specific context, knowing the Ale Apothecary, they do basically everything very natural with very little equipment involved. So it's probably some kind of open fermentation method okay. where basically all the Everything's... CO2 is allowed to just blow off into gotcha. that air. Okay. And it's not really retained inside a pressurized container of any mm-hmm. of any form, whether that be a 
fermentation vessel or a bottle or other kind of package itself. Mm. So. How about uh, nitro, nitro beer? Is, is that is that going to give you a different... Yeah, that would definitely be an option. It's uh, not even necessarily... That's more of a matter of perception about just pe- the human sensory system because that's not necessarily lower carbonation, but there's the the use of nitrogen in those lines, it's going to create a different kind of perception of the beer. So it seems smoother. So if, if someone doesn't like kind of the prickliness, I guess I would say of mm. what carbonation is, uh, that, that combination of some carbonation, but also use of nitrogen is going to create more of a creamy kind of smooth, uh, quality to right. the drinking experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, um, if you have any uh, additional thoughts on what you drink out there that don't like carbonated beer, send an email to podcast at ironhorsebrewery.com. Uh, also, you can look out for, I think we're going to put uh, Irish Death on Nitro in St. Saint- Patrick's Day time. So Awesome. So that'll be something for some people out there. Or you could go Paul's route and just open a can of Irish Death and leave it on the <laughs> just, Well, no, just you put it in the fridge, you know, obviously. You keep it cold crack, at least, but crack. crack it open, put it in the fridge, and then, uh, you know, get it out the next morning and right. chug a lug lug. That's, a, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we go, I, just, I feel like I, I owe uh, Paul an apology. The other day, he was sitting in his office crying. with He was shedding tears and just uh, crying all over the place. And I'm like, oh, what's the, what's the, what's the problem there, buddy? And... He just he didn't like the nerd Paul um, <laughs> commentary, so I just I want to publicly apologize for how sad you were on just sitting. Here I, I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> so here's the thing: is I have about five different nicknames here at yeah. the brewery because nobody Eggman. can fucking put their heads together and, and decide on one. And uh, nerd Paul's my favorite by far and away. Uh, so uh, Jared, no apology needed. Okay, um, good, good, uh, truly. Um, I, I will wear that moniker with pride. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. Um, next week we have uh, Vin Diesel. He's coming on the podcast, so uh, <laughs> oh, take nice. take a look for that. <laughs> Real <laughs> beer connoisseur. That'll be great. Uh, Paul, anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, go out and buy more beer, drink more beer. That sounds good. Wes, agreed. Oh, that's good. Excellent. Keep your fridge stocked. Uh, I do think we have a beer school coming up on uh, that Jake is giving oh, yeah. uh, on the 13th, now, which is does, Wednesday. What does beer school entail? Jake's just going to bullshit for two hours at the pub <laughs> about the brewing process. Great. Yeah. So uh, oh, if you're listening to this podcast between now and Wednesday the 13th, um, well, head, on down, head down to the pub around uh, 7 o'clock, I think, or 6 o'clock. Other than that, uh, uh, Wednesday the 14th. Wednesday the 14th. Wednesday the 14th. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Wednesday, November 14th. Excellent. Which doesn't make sense. We have trivia night, so it's probably Tuesday the 13th. Oh, you think I would know, but I don't. Uh, well, well, you know, we'll just we'll edit this out. <laughs> Perfect. Just, just cover it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, email podcast at ironhorsebrewery.com. If you have any comments, feedback, give us a rating uh, of your choosing. And that's it. Until next time. See you. Bye. Bye.